Well, I want to welcome you once again to week four of our series, Clean Slate. I'm Dion Garrett. also want to welcome those of you who are joining us online. We're, we're continuing in a series, week four, talking about another simple but important part of living a new year in the free and clear, and it has everything to do with our surroundings. Now, um, I don't know about you, but I think for most of us, I think for most of us, there is some place right now in our house that looks a lot like this. Anyone want to own up? Uh, maybe some of you just finished a move and your whole house looks like this. And in fact, I'm giving you PTSD today. You're like twitching. Um, but chances are, even if you haven't moved in a while, there's probably some place in your house that looks a lot like this. Maybe it's a storage room. Maybe it's your basement. Maybe it's your garage. Maybe it's your office. Heck, maybe it's your bedroom. I, I, no judgment here. Wherever that is, I know that this is a scene in a lot, of, uh, a lot of our houses. And what's interesting to me is that over the last 50 or 60 years, our material worlds have gotten so much fuller. In fact, in the last 50 or 60 years, I, I've talked about this before, the average size of an American home has almost tripled. And we actually have one less member of each American household, but our houses have gotten about three times bigger, and yet we have seemed to have no problem with filling those bigger houses with stuff, with material things. And uh, so much so that we've got all of this left over, crammed away somewhere in our house. And I think the reason that we have such full material lives is because in each and every one of these things, there is tied a hope. We have hopes and expectations about what these things might bring into our lives. And, and that's why we buy them. That's why we have them. For instance, isn't it true that so often we hope that some of our material possessions will give us value? You know, the car that we drive, that it'll, it'll give us value, it'll be some sort of symbol of status, or maybe the neighborhood we live in, the ha- kind of house we're in, that, that, that will communicate not just to the world, but to us, that, hey, I, I, I've done it, I, I'm worth something, I'm, I'm valuable. Or, um, you know, I think about all the things in our lives that we buy, the possessions that we have, that we buy because we want to become better people. You know, self-improvement is a tricky thing, and so uh, we buy things to make us better. Um, this is my daughter's Fitbit. I don't have one. Anyone have a Fitbit or an Apple Watch or something that counts your steps, some sort of, yeah, a bunch of you do, right? It's kind of fun. You get to count your steps, and it's a good idea, right? You buy this because you say, I want, I want to think more about my health. I want to be more intentional about being active. I want to get healthy. I want to become better. And so, you know, that's part of the reason we buy this, one of the hopes that we have for this kind of stuff. Or, um, you know, I, I think about belonging, Isn't it true that we buy things, just be honest, we buy things because we want to belong. We want to fit in. We all do this. In fact, in front of you right now, I've got a pair of Lululemon workout shorts. Now, um, these are not my shorts. Mine are actually much shorter than this. Um, These are my wives. Um, But, you know, I I remember back in the day, like, you can go to the gym, and if you were in Nike, you you were like it. You you belonged. And and, uh, and I've actually got some relatives who work for Nike, so I get Nike clothes at a discount. Uh, But I've discovered that that it's not good enough anymore. I'm kind of behind the eight ball. It's like Under Armour, and if you're a woman, it's Lululemon. And so if you want to fit in at the gym, uh, this this is the kind of stuff that you have to wear. And, man, that's how life always is, isn't it? For me, at least, that's my story. I remember uh, growing up, it was Air Jordans. Like, you know, if you wanted to fit in, you, you wore some Jordans. And I got some Jordans, and everyone moved on to Reebok pumps. It's just kind of how, how my life works. Belonging has never worked for me that way. Or uh, what about distraction? Uh, don't, don't we buy things because we want to be distracted, and so we have our devices, we have our gadgets, you know, stuff that we can use to distract us. In fact, I, I read something this week that talked a lot about what we were dealing with last week, decelerating the mind. And it said, you know, one of the leading, leading causes of 
anxiety and stress in our lives is that our minds get stuck in this feedback loop. We start to ruminate and think over the same things over and over again. And one of the best things you can do to stop that, to pull yourself out of that, is to distract yourself. And one of the reasons we buy things is because when you buy something new, when you add something new to your material world, it causes an interruption in that feedback loop, that rumination. And for a second, sometimes a little longer, it can distract you and it can just kind of ease the the anxiety of our minds. That can be a good thing. And yet the reality is that even when we buy things that can distract us, sometimes the distractions end up leaving us feeling emptier and worse about ourselves. Uh, but, But actually, if you want to spend your money on something that will help distract you, studies also show that experiences are better at that than possessions because you have anticipation and then you get to reminisce and it's a whole richer experience. So, so just, just some food for thought there. Or I think about all the things in life that we have to make our lives simpler or more convenient. This is a uh, pet hair vacuum that uh, my parents bought for me because they also bought us the pet that leaves the hair. And so <laughs> I guess that's only fair. They left this after they bought us our puppy a little over a year ago. And, uh, and so, you know, we got this vacuum and it's really convenient and it does make life simpler, especially to get the pet hair off the stairs. Um, but I've realized that over the course of our marriage, we, we, we in our household, we have a fascination with little vacuums. So we've got a couple of these in our uh, laundry room right now. We've had a ton of these. Uh, but, you know, you're trying to make life simpler, more convenient, easier to manage. Or I think about safety or security, you know, the stuff that we try to have to keep our other things safe or to keep our life safe or, you know, being a part of a community like this, we got to talk about safety here in a different way. I always have other gear that helps keep us safe. Mine's just the Nerf kind. You've got a different kind, but, you know, keep some people safe in, 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 in life. And isn't that true that what we do in life so often is we think if we just get the right stuff, if we can surround ourselves with the right things, if we can keep our pantry stocked in case, you know, our bunker stock. So I don't know if you've got those, if you're preppers and you've got your bunker somewhere with, with enough stuff, we kind of think that if we just have the right stuff around us, we can insulate ourselves from hardship or difficulty in life. So safety is a big deal. But, uh, you know, I think for a lot of us, The reason we acquire, the reason we surround ourselves with possessions is because we're hoping for joy. I don't know if you recognize this. This is is Lady from Lady and the Tramp. Um, And Lady has a story behind her. When um, my daughters were four and a little over a year, we took a trip to Disney World. And I swore I would never go back to Disney World. I've actually been back one time since. Um, But uh, we went to Disney World. And I, I remember we got off a ride, and it was one of those cruel, evil, you have to exit through the gift shop kind of things. And, you know, I'm just, I'm just, I'm a man of principle. I'm fundamentally opposed to that kind of pushy consumerism. So I'm trying to buzz out of there as soon as possible with the stroller and the kids. And my daughter, Ellie, at four years old, spotted Lady on a shelf. I didn't even know she'd seen the movie, but she, she knew who Lady was. And she starts howling, Lady, Lady. And I'm like, no way am I spending $30 on a stuffed animal at Disney World, and I'm not falling for this trap. We're not doing it. So, you know, I'm pushing on. We're going throughout the park, and she's yelling, lady, lady. And I'm like, I know this kid. In 30 seconds, she's going to forget about lady if we buy it. She's going to be onto something else. Um, unfortunately, a set of grandparents were on the trip with us. <laughs> and so, uh, so good old Papa, he could not stand to hear um, his beloved granddaughter cry for lady. And so he buzzed back there, got lady, gave it to her. And much to my surprise, five, 10 minutes, a couple days went by, lady was still a favorite. In fact, lady ended up in a, a uh, bowl of olive oil at a Carabas on the way home from the airport. 
And that was another tragedy. We had to clean her off and give her back to Ellie. And in fact, this, this dog is in her little memory box that we have. Not many things in there, but this is one of those things because surprisingly, this little stuffed animal, overpriced as it was, uh, brought incredible joy to her life. And isn't that what we hope our possessions will do for us? So you can look around your environment and you can look around and just think about all of the hopes and expectations that we put on our possessions. And some of those things pan out and some of them don't. But I think overall, what we find is that these things don't do for us what we expect because, as I said, in the last 50, 60 years, our material worlds have gotten fuller, but we're not necessarily happier. Happiness is not on the rise in America. The GDP is, but happiness isn't. Things like depression and anxiety and even suicide are. It makes you wonder, what's going on here? Where is the disconnect? See, we've got hopes and expectations of what possessions will do. The reality often looks different. See, the reality of what these things often bring into our life is is something else entirely. Um, For us, the reality is, is often debt. You know, we acquire things hoping they'll make us happy, but what they do is they drive us into debt. And it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter how much joy a possession can bring you. If you're in debt, if you're working to pay it off, if you've got that oppression in your life, it's never going to bring you the joy that it could. Uh, They also drain our resources, not just financial resources, but you think about all the time and effort you spend cleaning and maintaining the things, the stuff in your life, how how those things tend to drain your resources. Uh, Those things fuel industry, which may sound like, may sound like a noble thing, right? Um, And and maybe it is. Uh, The reality is that we spend a lot of money. We make lots of people, companies, stockholders rich by the things that we buy. But do you know what we also do? We we are fueling now um, an organizational storage industry. I don't know if you know this, in America, the organizational storage industry, the industry that's only about making shelving and boxes, you know, boxes and baskets to store and organize our stuff, it is an $8.8 billion a year industry. So not only are we fueling industry in what we buy, but we're fueling industry in our need to try to manage and organize all of our stuff. Um, Our things often end up adding stress to our lives, all that clutter I just read something this week that says specifically women, when they see clutter, cortisol, the stress hormone, is released in their bloodstream. Isn't that interesting? So kids, when your mom walks into your room and she freaks out, it's not her fault. <laughs> something biologically going on in her cortisol starts going into her bloodstream and, uh, and, and there's stress, there's anxiety that comes with that. Um, you know, I, I, think about, I think about another thing, it's kind of related to what we talked about earlier, but how... Um, How our possessions crowd out uh, relationships, is what I'm trying to write, relationships, how that often happens to us. Um, You know, not just because we spend so much time and effort working to, to pay for the things that we have, acquiring things, but how often have you wanted to hang out with people and you look around at your house and you say, we can't have people over, the house is too messy. Or someone invites you to do something and you're like, I'd love to, but we've got to mow the grass and fix the thing and maintain the, right? I mean, so often... Just keeping up with this stuff, it crowds out relationships. And then one final thing I want to point out is um, sometimes our possessions can be a trap to others. They trap others. We've all heard about keeping up with the Joneses, and we all know how that can be a tension point in our lives. But let me just tell you, no matter who you're keeping up with in life, here's what I can promise. I can guarantee this, that someone is looking at you, and you are their Joneses. 
You are the people that are watching. Some of you are like, no way, no way. No one would ever look at me. My life is so, man, I don't have anything. No, no, no. I guarantee you, someone is looking at you and they, they, they perceive that all of your stuff, the life that you're living is making you happy and they are, they are walking right in to the same exact trap. Now, none of this surprises us, does it? Because wise men and women over the course of millennia have been talking about the danger of our relationship with our our wealth, with our possessions. In fact, today, we're going to look at a section of scripture, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We believe these words were written by King Solomon, who was a wise and wealthy king. And 3,000 years ago, he gave us these words. He spoke these words about this tenuous relationship that we have with our money with our possessions. Now, uh, as we look at these words in just a second, starting at verse 10, I just want to caution you. I want you to be open-minded here because I know you have certain expectations when you come to church about what, what guys are like me, what, what the Bible will say about your relationships with your possessions. I just want you to be open-minded here because I think there's something here deeper than whatever it is you're expecting right now. This isn't going to say everything that you think it will. Let's take a look. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10. He starts off and he says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. How true is that? You know, studies show that when you ask most people how much money they would need to be satisfied, no matter how much they make, they say about 10% more. Uh, And some of you remember there was a place in your life where you thought, man, if I could just make this much a year, I would be so happy. And maybe you were lucky enough to hit that mark and now you're like, well, actually, if I could just move that up a a few numbers, then I'd be happier. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth never will be satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. Right? When, when you've got more stuff, you've got more people who want a piece of that stuff. He says, and what benefit are those goods to their owners except that their owners get to feast their eyes on them? You just get to look at all your stuff. Everyone else is devouring your resources. Uh, the sleep of the laborer is sweet, he says. Whether they eat little or much, but as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. Some of you remember a time in life where things were simpler, where you didn't have much. And maybe you look back at that, and and when you were there, you were like anxious and trying to get ahead and trying to get up that next hill, moving on up. And now you're kind of in this place in life where you've got a lot more, but you kind of think back to those days and you think, man, there was just something about life then that was simpler, that might have even been better. That's what he's talking about here. He goes on. He says, I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners. See, Solomon was onto something. His point is like hoarding isn't only bad because you're not sharing with people in need, but, but hoarding is harmful to us. We're just kind of figuring this out in the last decade, you know, how bad, how detrimental hoarding can be for our own being. And he says, man, wealth is hoarded to the harm of its owners. That happens all the time. Or wealth is lost through some misfortune so that when they have children, there's nothing left for them to inherit. And then he kind of sums up this section in this way. He says, everyone comes from their mother's womb. Uh, Everyone comes naked, rather, from their mother's womb. And as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil, from their work, that they can actually carry in their hands. Just think about some of those phrases. If you love money, if you love income, you'll never have enough. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit do they really bring? As for the rich, the abundance of possessions permits them no sleep. Wealth is hoarded to the harm of its holders. We take nothing, I brought nothing into this world, we take nothing out. We can't take it with us. It's amazing to me that 3,000 years ago, in, in a less material 
materially rich society, people were still battling the same things with their money, with their possessions. 3,000 years ago, it was the same. And here you have this wealth, wealthy, rich, uh, wise, powerful king who's saying, don't be deceived. This stuff is not all that you think. It can be good, but it can't scratch the itch that you think it will. And then a thousand years after Solomon, Jesus picked up on this theme and he talked about it all the time, about our relationship with our possessions. Uh, One place is in Luke 12. He said, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed for life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. An abundant life and abundant possessions, those aren't the same thing. And I'll tell you, sometimes I'm challenged by that because I believe that if I had more abundant possessions, my life would be more abundant. My storage room says otherwise. So what's the solution? What's the answer? Well, for a lot of us, the answer is better organization, right? An $8.8 billion industry. In fact, I'm curious, how many of you, uh, how many of you know her? Anyone know who that is? Hearing some muttering. So that's Marie Kondo. She does the KonMari method of organization. This is Uh, This is like a worldwide phenomenon right now. A Japanese woman who has this method of trying to organize your space has written a book called Spark Joy. She's on all of the talk shows. Probably some good stuff in here, but but, uh, uh, I guess the gist of it is you can get your life organized by folding your clothes up into very tiny little things. In fact, just take a look. goes on and on and shows you how to do everything. Now, there is a six-month waiting list for her organization's services to come into your house and to help you get organized. And I just kind of reason, if it, if it takes you that long to fold a single shirt, no wonder they're on a six-month waiting list. I mean, it's going to take them forever to get your house organized. I, I, who has time for that stuff? So for some of us, it's, it's organization. For some of us, we, we, have, we have pushed back on the material world and we've gotten very minimalist and there's some value there or maybe gone all zen if I can just live out of a backpack and that's all I need. And here's what I want you to understand. Uh, according to Solomon, we'll see this in a minute, but, but according to me, you're never gonna hear me say that the material world is evil, that it's bad, that possessions are, are, are bad for you. You're never gonna hear me say that because I don't believe it's true. In fact, in the beginning, God created a material world, right? And he looked at all of it and he says, it is good. He declared it to be good. And then he put the first humans, Adam and Eve, he put them in a material, materially rich environment, the Garden of Eden. And uh, they, didn't have, they didn't have technology. Maybe some of that stuff isn't great. I don't know. But, but my point is, he put them in a material, materially rich environment. I have a hard time saying that. A materially rich environment And he gave it to them and he said, I want you to enjoy this. You and I, we are material 
creatures. We're not just spirits trapped in physical bodies, but we are spirits and bodies that are intertwined together. There's value to both of those things. When Jesus comes back, he's not just going to destroy the world and we just get to be spirits. No, but he's going to recreate the world. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. He'll even raise up our bodies and give us new glorified material bodies. You will never hear me say that material things don't matter. Because that's not true. They, they matter. And any worldview, any system that just says material things don't mean anything, they're wrong. That's not true. They have value. But, but sometimes, here's the problem, sometimes... We give the material world, we give material things more credit, more credit than they deserve. And we begin to pile hopes and expectations on those things that they just aren't made to handle. You don't hear Solomon in the conclusion of this. We're going to look at it in verse 18. You don't hear him saying, the material world is evil. Instead, you hear him saying something else. I want to show it to you, his conclusion. He says, this is what I have observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and find toil, I'm sorry, find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. Do you hear that? Make sure you catch that. This is what I have observed to be good, he said. He says, it is good. It is a blessing. It is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in the fruits of their labor. Right? right. Material things, the, the stuff of life. Man, it's appropriate for you to enjoy that stuff. In fact, it's a crime when you can't enjoy the things that God provided for you. And, and some of you, you know people like this, where they have, have a lot or a little, they're able to enjoy those things. For some of you, you know people, they have a lot or they have a little, and they can't enjoy anything. See, Solomon will talk about the difference. He says, moreover, verse 19... When God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their work and their toil, this is a gift of God. Those people seldom reflect on the days of their life. They're not stuck in the rumination cycle because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. Solomon describes a very different picture than what we are kind of accustomed to. Not just people who live in material rich environments who have wealth and possessions, but he says it's actually deeper than that. See, in this country, we have this bad habit of calling ourselves blessed just because we have things. And that's not true, of course, right? You're not blessed just because you have things. That can be a part of blessing, but hear what Solomon says again, verse 19. It says, moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, Well, this is a gift. This is a blessing from God. See, it's not just having wealth and possessions. It's having wealth. It's having possessions and the ability to enjoy them. Then you're living a blessed life. So the question for me is, okay, how do I get there? How do do I get to a place where this stuff in my life brings me enjoyment, where it brings me joy. See, the key is getting our expectations right. So often in life, we, we demand that things will be more than they're able to be. We put expectations and hopes on things, and we make demands on things. Things, man, we hope that they'll do things that they were never created to do. And we put expectations on things and on people in our lives. And and they they can never, ever fulfill those things. 
let's just talk about relationships, friendships, romantic relationships. And let's talk about marriage. How many of us put expectations on our spouse, on our partner, to be our everything? All right, I want you not just to be the, the co-parent of my kids, but I want you to be my soulmate and my best friend. And I want us to enjoy all of our leisure time together. And I want us to have stimulating conversations. And I want you to help me through all the things of life. Who can do all that? What one person can fulfill you in all of those ways? It's impossible. That's not fair to do to someone. God never told you that's what your spouse should be, your best friend should be. God never said that. In fact, you can't find an example of a relationship like that in the Bible. So where do we get this idea from? I'll tell you, we get it from Hollywood. We watch a movie and it all works out. And you know what? In movies, it can all work out because that stuff's fake. It's made up. Right? They, can, they can make it look right. You want to know why people in Hollywood bounce you know, serial relationship from person to person? It's because they have to play these parts for two years where everything is perfect. They live in these imaginary worlds for you know, sometimes two, three years filming a movie and they come back to life and they're so like confused about what relationships actually should be. I just need to be really pointed with you today. If you're someone who is in a relationship, if you are in a marriage, and, and you, you are demanding that your partner, your spouse, be everything that you need out of every relationship, you are wrecking everything beautiful that could come out of your relationship. There is beauty there. There is value there. There is joy there. But if you're putting all those expectations on it, you, you, are, you, are, you are destroying the relationship by demanding that it be more than it possibly can be. Same thing's true for job and careers or work. You know, I talked to you last, or a couple weeks ago about, about knowing our why for our work. And I think it's really, really important. But if you demand that your job, your career, your work, if, if you demand that, you, that your job not only fulfill you, but that it inspires you and it fills you with meaning and gives you purpose, oh yeah, it also provides status for you so that you can impress others, oh yeah, and then it provides enough for you to financially live the lifestyle that you and your family want to live, all while being able to retire by 65, preferably someplace warm, then guess what? You'll never derive joy from your career. There is no dream job for you because there's no job that can do all that. And instead, you'll, you'll probably jump from career to career to career looking for this perfect thing that never exists and you'll never find joy, you'll never find satisfaction in those things. In the same way, in the same way, it's only when we check our expectations on all of this, when we get our hopes right for all of this, uh, when, when we even look at the best stuff and, and uh, we calibrate our expectations, it's only then that this stuff can actually do what it's meant to do. It's only then that these things can, as the book says, spark joy in our lives. It's only then that these things are free to be blessing. It's only when you lift off the heavy burden of expectation on all of these things that you can be grateful and, and you can count yourself blessed and you really can find the ability to enjoy these things. But, but if you're looking at this stuff and you're expecting that it's gonna fill you with worth or value or security, come on, this stuff can't do that. I don't care how nice your car is or how nice your house is. It's not gonna give you a sense of worth or value. I don't care how big your gun safe is. That's never gonna give you security. See, if you're looking for worth or value or security, it can't be found here. Instead, though, you know what? God wants to give you that. 
God wants to give you that. Today, without having to hustle for it, without having to work for it. If you want worth, man, man, today God is speaking over you that you are worthy. That he loves you. That you are sons and daughters. You, You want value? God gave his son in exchange for your life. He he, he traded his son's life for yours so that he could have you, so that you could have fullness value. I mean, even still, God is governing over this entire universe, the entire cosmos, with you in mind. You want to talk about value? You can't find it here. But God's standing over you today saying, saying, hey, I love you. I've given my son for you. I'm governing over the universe for you. You are worthy. You are worthy. You are valuable in my sight. You want security? God holds you in the palm of his hands. It says that your, the number of your hairs on your head are numbered. It says that a sparrow doesn't fall from the sky apart from the will of the Father. It says, are you not more valuable than they? You want security? You find it by living your life in the hands of your father. And you know what? Even when bad things happen, even when crazy things happen in life, guess what? He has secured not just this temporary life that we're living now, but but he has secured our eternity that goes on forever. I know life feels like a big deal sometimes. I get so caught up in life, and yet there's an existence that goes beyond this life forever. He has secured that for you. You've got ultimate security in him. He's kept that in heaven for you. It, It can't be taken away, even if things in life go wrong. You want worth, you want value, you want security. It's not here. Stop demanding that this stuff bring that to you. It never will. But God can give that to you. You want belonging, you want joy, you want distraction from the pain of living. Don't look here. This can do that maybe temporarily, but if you really want to find that, look to people. That's why God put people in your life. That's what community can bring you, right? You want belonging? Find people who love you for you. Not for what you wear, what you drive. That's belonging. You want to find joy? Spend time with people. If you want to distract yourself from the pain of living, immerse yourself in community, and it'll do something for you in a way that technology can't. And I I distract myself, and then I feel lame and boring and dirty and gooey after I'm done. But people, I never feel that way after being with people I love. See, it's only when we get our expectations right on what this stuff can be and do for us and these things can't bring us ultimate value or worth or security or belonging or, or even lasting joy. They can for a little while, but if we can just strip our expectations and hopes off of these things, then not only are we able to find the things that can really bring us value and security and all the rest, but then you know what happens? These things begin to be a blessing in our life again. We actually find that third ingredient, not just wealth and possessions, but we begin to discover the ability to enjoy them because we're allowing them to be what they can be. See, I think for a lot of us to be able to get uh, this all in the right place, we need to take some decisive action today. And so uh, the reality is our possessions often bring this into our lives. I don't know what this stuff is, but I'm trying not to inhale it. Gee. Uh, uh, you know, this is the reality of what our possessions bring into our life. And this is not what God wants for that. God actually intended these things to be good in your life. 
And in fact, by, by getting them in the right place, by fixing our expectations on what they can do, what they can't do, as I said, not only do we get to discover the things in life that actually affirm us and, and bring us real value and meaning and joy and security and belonging and all the rest, uh, but, but, but then we can actually have a healthy relationship with our possessions. We can find the ability to enjoy them again. So um, today as I close, I want to give you just a, a quick list of some tangible steps that uh, you might want to take. I'm a clean freak. I'm going to stop that now, okay? Um, I'm going to give you a, a list of some tangible steps that you can take in order to get a healthier relationship with your possessions. The first thing is this. Maybe you need to make a budget. Uh, we offer courses here for, through Dave Ramsey about that. But here's why a budget's important. Because a budget are parameters that you can set where you can be free to enjoy material things and uh, in a way that feels really good. If you're going into debt for your material possessions, no matter how much joy they have the potential to bring you in life, you're diminishing that joy by being in debt. Further, this is kind of a warning sign in your life. If, if, you're, if your thirst for material things is so strong that you keep spending outside of your means to get things in your life, that is a warning sign to you. It's, it's saying, hey... Your expectations are off. You're putting way too much hope in this stuff to do for you what it can't do for you. You need to look elsewhere. So a budget provides some safe guidelines to get a material world that is, uh, that is in alignment. Now, some of you, it may be more decisive action. You know, as you're budgeting, um, maybe you realize that you need to downsize. I know this is a scary word, but it can be a really freeing thing for you. I was talking to a guy this week, a friend of mine, and uh, he said, you know, he's living out in a couple of acres in Wildwood, beautiful wooded lot, 4,000 square foot house and one day he pulled up in his driveway and he just looked at the house and he looked at the yard and he started realizing how much time and how much life he spent to keep up that house. He walked inside and he grabbed his wife and he said, let's take a tour and they walked around their house and he's like, when's the last time we used this room and, and yet you're cleaning it and we're heating it and what are we doing here? And within a matter of weeks, they put their house on the market. They moved to a smaller house. And, and he describes what that's done for him in life. He says, you know what? Now, instead of spending time on taking care of that giant yard and taking care of the house and paying for the house, and he's like, I, I get to do the stuff that actually brings me joy. I get to play golf. I get to hang out with my friends. I, I get to do the things that actually add value to my life because this wasn't doing it for me. Maybe this is what you need to do. Although maybe it's not only your house. Maybe some of you, you need to downsize your closet or your electronics collection, or the toys that you have in your garage. But maybe that's something you need to do, take decisive action and downsize. Or uh, maybe if that's too drastic for you, here's another option. How about you just stop replacing, these are the squeakiest markers ever, my goodness. Uh, stop replacing stuff in your life. This is a way to do this, but in a more gradual way. Uh, we tend to you know, accumulate, 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 and then when something breaks, we just run off and replace it. But when that TV in your bedroom goes out, instead of just running off and saying, we need a new TV in the bedroom, maybe you just stop and ask a question of saying, do we really need that? Is that helping us? Is that helping our marriage? Is that helping us our sleep? Is that, is that something good in our life? Or can we live without that? And maybe you just put the TV out on the curb with the trash and you don't replace it. See, there's a way you can begin to simplify your surroundings just by attrition, just by letting things take their natural cycle, they break, you say goodbye to them, and, uh, and you replace them. You know, that, that Spark Joy book is kind of interesting on this point. Part of the premise is, if your possessions aren't sparking joy in your life, then you probably don't need them. Just let them go. Finally, um, this one sounds a little harsh, but if belonging is a big driver for you, and, uh, and it's your friendships that drive you to try to keep up with others and have an unhealthy relationship with your possessions, 
then maybe you just need to make new friends. And I know that maybe doesn't sound like a, a thing a pastor should say, but uh, if this is such a trap for you, maybe, maybe you can keep those friends, but maybe you need to make some new friends. Friends who often share this value of finding life, finding meaning in things beyond their possessions so that possessions can take their rightful place. See, I'll say it one more time. The only way this stuff will be a blessing in your life is when you let it be what it can be. And instead of all of the expectations and hopes we pin on these things, we create room in our lives to find the things that can actually fulfill those hopes and expectations. So today, I'm going to encourage you in your own life to take some decisive action. Maybe it's one of these things. Maybe it's something else. Just to push back, because I know I need to do this in my life, to push back and to get this in the proper balance.